Good evening, everyone. Today, I'm very happy to have Dr. Yinxiang Zhang, in an, uh, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Computer Science at Ohio State University. His research topics range over various fields in security, including cloud and mobile security, hardware-assisted security, user authentication, and anonymous communication. He's known for his work in side-channel attacks and defenses in multi-tenant cloud computing as well. I'm looking forward to your talk, Dr. Zhang. Thank you very much for the introduction, and thank you everyone for coming. Uh, I'm Inchen Zhang from Ohio State uh, CIC Department. Today I'm going to talk about cache memory attacks in clouds and the mobile devices. Maybe some of you or all of you have never heard of the, the term cache memory attacks. That's okay, because I coined the term myself. Well, but probably you have heard of the term side-channel attacks or row hammer attacks. Here I'm using the term cache memory attacks to refer to a set of attacks that, are in, that involves the hardware CPU cache or the hardware memory. Okay, so before we go on to talk about the, the, the attack itself, let's just try to bring, bring everybody uh, on the same page. So here I'm showing a diagram of the computer uh, pr uh, a pr processor of the of a computer and also the DRAM memory. I hope you can see the DRAM memory here. Uh, well, it's not showing here, but anyway. Um, okay, so here I'm showing two c uh, c processor packages, and uh, within each processor package, there are at least two CPU cores. And on each CPU core, there are uh, two logical cores. And this logical core is en enabled by a te technology called simultaneous multi-threading or hyper-threading. Okay. And attached to each core is a set of caches. And the particularly, they are, there are L1 instruction cache, L1 data cache, uh, L2 cache. And uh, those cores are connected to a single last-level cache, or LLC. Okay, this is, per, this is within one pa CPU package. And there, are there might be multiple CPU packages on the computer system. Um, and uh, those packages are interconnected with the QPI technology. Um, and with the inter, well, in integrated memory controller, they are connecting with the DRAM module, which the DRAM should be shown here, but is some, for some reason does not show here. Okay, so this is the hardware cache and memory system that I'm going to talk about today. Here, I want to emphasize that, emphasize that the multiple processes runs supported by the same operating system will share the entire uh, cache and memory hierarchy. And this could be a security problem. Okay. So what kind of, can, what kind of um, scenario am I talking about here? Well, one scenario that comes to mind is cloud computing. Right? In the cloud computing scenario, multiple tenants, they can run uh, virtual machines on, the, on a shared computer hardware, and therefore they can share the same CPU cache and hardware memory. And another scenario is the mobile devices. On the mobile devices, it's, it is possible to have multiple applications that do not trust each, each other, and then they run on the same device, but and, and, also share, and also share the memory and the cache um, system. Um, and uh, another scenario here is the uh, browsers. So the JavaScript, JavaScript applications can run on the browsers and share the same CPU uh, and memory hierarchy with the other component of the computer system. Okay, so in this talk, I'm going to highlight three different types of cache memory attacks. And we all know that there are three aspects of security. Uh, there are confidentiality, there are integrity, and availability. And there are different type of, types of attacks uh, 
of, of cache memory attacks that uh, illustrate the, the idea of confidentiality attacks, integrity attacks, and availability attacks. Um, and particularly, I'm going to focus on the cache-based citation attacks, which is one example of the confidentiality attacks. And uh, also, I will talk about the Rohammer attacks, which is one example of the integrity attacks. Uh, actually, we also have a work uh, focusing on the, on, the, uh, on the availability attacks, in which we show that one virtual machine can conduct this memory denial of service attack against other virtual machines in the public cloud. Uh, and for time, uh, for time's sake, I, I, I cannot cover this, this, this type of attack uh, in, in this talk. So the first attack I'm going to talk about is the confidentiality attack, uh, which is, in other words, cache-based side-channel attacks. Before I can explain to you how this type of attack can work, let me try to go through this, this example and show you how memory access pattern can leak information. And you can see here, this is a very simple C program. I believe everybody here can, can only, only need three, three seconds to understand what this program is doing. Okay, it's very simple. Basically, this main program will take an integer as an input, as an argument. And uh, depending on whether this integer is an odd number or even number, uh, a function called inc will be called. Okay, this is the, the function body of inc. Um, and then a variable b will be assigned the value of, of a and then return zero. Assuming that here, the, the input a here, the variable a here is the sensitive information that the attacker wants to learn. Okay, and here we want to show that the attacker can learn one bit of information of this variable, which is whether this variable is an odd number or even number. So how could the attacker do that? Well, if we decompose this program using, con well, uh, 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 and represent it as control flow graphs, and here we can see that this program can be decomposed into three basic blocks. And this, the basic blocks on the right may be called or not, depending on the value of A, depending on the value of A. Therefore, if the attacker has some, wa some way to tell whether the execution path on the right, well, that's on, on the right, on your right, on the right has been taken or not, he can learn the one-bit information of the sensitive var variable A. Okay, but how could the attacker do that without, well, dynam dynamically tracing the program execution? So the answer is that the, the attacker can do that by cache-based side-channel attacks. So let's try, let's further, uh, well, compile this code into a summary language here. Um, here in this, there are still, uh, still the, the same three basic blocks. And the, before each line here, this is the, the relative uh, virtual address of each, 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 of each instruction. And we can see in this example, we are, it so happens that these three basic blocks are stored in three memory, three cache line aligned and cache line sized memory blocks. So what is a cache line sized and cache line aligned memory block? Well, a cache line sized and cache line aligned memory block is, a, is of usually of 64 byte, and one, one of the byte is being read by the CPU. Uh, well, one of the byte in this block being, is being read by the CPU. The entire block will be fetched into the CPU cache. Okay, this is what I mean by one memory block. And you can see in this example, it so happened that these three basic blocks are stored in three different cache well, memory, memory blocks, okay? And then, if the attacker can learn using cache-based side channels, whether 
the basic block here on the, on the right has been fetched into the cache or not. And in this way, the attacker can learn the execution path of this program and then learn the one-bit information about the sensitive uh, input A here. Okay, this is the key idea of, of cache-based sanction attack. There are multiple ways to conduct the so-called cache-based session attack, and the two most prominent attacks are, sorry, um, uh, prime probe attacks and the flash reload attacks. The prime probe attacks assumes that the attacker and the victim share certain cache sets. Okay, this is a typical typical uh, scenario. Um, and the, but in order to conduct this attack, the attacker needs to know the virtue of physical mapping of the, of, of the victim. He needs to know which cache set is being shared with the victim, which, which cache set is not. Okay. And the other type of attack is called a flash reload attack. And this, uh, this, uh, in the, uh, the, the assumption of this attack is a little bit different. It assumes that the victim and the attacker share some, some cache line. And this is possible if the attacker and the victim share some physical memory. And if they share the same, same physical memory and the memory blocks on those memory pages will be shared by both party, by both party. Um, and this is very typical uh, for two processes running in the same operating system, they share the same library code. Okay, so in this talk we are going to focus on the flash reload attack, but I, I have, have also been working on the prime probe attack before, but uh, just to illustrate the idea of cache sidechain attacks, let's just focus on the flash reload attack. Okay, the idea of flash reload attack is like this. Um, there are three steps, flush, um, flush reload interval, and the reload. So in the flush phase, the attacker will, will try to use the CL flush, which is the instruction, unprivileged instruction on x86 platforms. Um, the attacker will use CL flush instruction to flush, well, flush out a certain memory block outside the cache. So basically the effect of this, this instruction is to make sure certain cache certain memory blocks in the shared memory, memory page does not exist in the shared cache. Okay, so this is the effect of CL flush. And then the next phase is called flash reload interval. And during this period, the attacker does not do anything, just wait for the victim to make use of the shared CPU cache. Okay, and if, if the victim somehow accessed the shared memory page, then the memory memory block, here I mean the cache line sized and, and aligned memory block, will be loaded into the cache after the victim has accessed this memory block. Okay? And then in the next phase, which we call the reload phase, we call reload phase. Okay? In reload phase, the attacker will try to read from the same memory block and, the, and, also, sorry, and also time the duration of this memory read. And this duration is very long. That means the memory read is actually from the, from the memory. And that also means the victim did not touch this memory block during the flash reload interval. But on the contrary, if the reload is very fast, then that means the reload is from the cache directly. And that also means the victim, during the flash, re flash reload interval, has somehow touched, the, touched this shared memory page. And this is how the attacker can learn certain cache, certain cache line has been used by the victim or not during a certain period of time. So this is called a flash reload attack. Um, well, we, um, we have done uh, several, several works uh, along this line. And one of the paper 
we published uh, using flash reload attack was back in, back in 2014, which was a CSS paper describing three different attacks, three different flash reload attacks in the public cloud. Okay, we demonstrate the attack in the public clouds. And we particularly showed three different attacks. The first attack is called password reset attack. And in this attack, we particularly try to demonstrate using the flash reload technique, the attacker can learn when exactly an execution path is taken by the victim. And this, this, the, the second example of the attack we show is that the attacker can infer the sensitive user data. And in this, in this example, we show that using the flash reload attack, the attacker can learn how many times an execution path is taken. And in the, third in the third attack, we show that we can use this technique to break the SAML-based single sign-on service in the public cloud. Um, and, uh, and particularly, we want to use this example to show uh, the attacker can use flash reload technique to learn whether an execution path is taken or not. So I'm not, not going to go, go through all these examples, but I will, well, I will show you uh, how the first attack, the password reset attack works, just to give you some idea about the, the, the attack. Okay. So, well, you know that uh, when you forget your password, what you do is to go to the website of this, uh, of the, go to this website and try to click on the forget password button. And what happens here is that a, a pseudo -random, random number generator will be used to generate a random token. And that will be sent to you via email. And once you get an email, you can click on the token or, or use this token to, to authenticate to the web server again. Okay, so this is what happened. And some application, Implementation like the PHP password, like the PHP um, pseudo random pseudo random number generation, uh, they only use entropy well, entropy source from uh, system calls like get time of day. Okay, this is bad bad design choice, um, but this is the, the fact back then back in uh, 2014. So the PHP application usually only use get get time of day or time function to get this uh, as a source of entropy to generate the pseudo random numbers. And so let's, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me show you how to use the flash reload side channel to learn, uh, to predict the, the random number that is generated by the pseudo random number generator here. Uh, so here we consider a scenario where the uh, attacker and the victim share the same operating system. And this is true in the public platform and the service cloud. And here, well, the attacker will act on behalf of the user and try to reset the a password of arbitrary account. And what will happen is that this, uh, uh, in this pseudo random number generator will be used to generate uh, a, a random token. Um, and then during this, this random number generation, get time of day function will be called several times. And the attacker can use the flash reload technique to learn when the get time of day function is being called. And then call this function immediately after this incident. So the attacker can get the same result as the victim. And using the same value, the attacker can use the open source pseudo random number generator implemented in PHP to predict the token, to predict the token with high accuracy, and then use this token to reset the password. So this is just one example of how this type of attacking can, can, be, can be used in practice. Well, so the, well, um, that's, uh, this, this work uh, in the public cloud was done in, uh, two years ago. And uh, more recently, uh, I have been working with my students to um, conduct a flash reload attack 
on ARM and Android devices. So you might be wondering, well, what is different on ARM? Well, there are several technical challenges on ARM that makes flash reload a lot hard, flash reload attack very, very difficult. And in fact, uh, the first paper describing flash reload attacks, which was published in 2013, um, the author claimed that it is impossible to do flash reload attack on ARM because of, well, the following reasons. The first reason here is that there is no unprivileged serial flash instruction. This instruction is essential to the flash operation. Without this instruction, there is no way to flush out certain memory region or memory blocks out of the cache. And the way we deal with this problem is by using a system call called clear cache. So why, why is there a system call called clear cache help you clear flush the cache region? The reason is that on ARM devices, the ARM processors do not support coherency between the instruction cache and data cache. That is the design of the ARM, ARM processors. And because of that, in order to support self-modifying code, the operating system must provide a way to allow the application to call a system call and then flush certain region of the, of, of, of the, of the cache, or certain region of the memory out of the cache in order to support the self-modifying code. And we just exploit this system call in place of CL flush instructions. Okay. And the second difficulty is that, well, unlike on Intel uh, or AMD uh, processors, the cache coherency and the inclusiveness uh, of ARM processors are not very well uh, reported or, or documented. So we do not know exactly how the cache coherency protocol and the inclusiveness of the last level cache to the, uh, to, the, to the L1 caches are implemented on the ARM devices. Well, so in order to, to effectively conduct side-channel channel attacks on ARM devices, we use the timing channel to learn um, what is the effect of the cache flushes. So in other, in other words, we want to learn whether the clear cache system call will flush the local L1 cache or, and also the shared L2 cache, which is also the last level cache on, on ARM. Okay, which cache will be, will be flushed by this instruction? Uh, sorry, by this system call. And also, we, we also use a timing channel to learn whether the L2 cache is inclusive to L1 cache um, or not. So this information are not reported by the, by, by, by the document, and we have to use the timing channel to, 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 to learn such information. And the third difficulty here is that, well, because the ca clear cache system call is to support self-modifying code, and essentially, it only flushes the instruction caches. So that, remember, the flash reload attack requires to flush certain memory region out of the cache first and then reload it back. And because it can only work on the instruction cache, so we, we in other words, we have to use the, um, during the reload phase, we have to execute some function to load the data, to load the memory block into the, into the instruction cache. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem because um, in order to conduct this attack, that means we need to understand the semantic of this program. Otherwise, other words, we, uh, we need to understand what arguments will be used by, the, by this function and what are the global variables that will be used inside this function in order to call this function outside the victim program. And also, because the, flash re the, the reload phase will be used for timing purposes. So in other words, the, 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 uh, the attacker needs to time how long it takes to 
to do the reload. And if the reload like executing, uh, is executing the entire function, it may take a lot of time. You know what, I'll, I'll stand here. Okay. Okay, it will take a lot of time. And actually, the execution time of a function may vary from, from time to time. So it is not ideal situation for the flash reload attack. So what we do in this paper is that we, okay, so we, I, I, want, I just want to focus on this part in this talk um, to show you how we can do the reload with, with only the instruction cache. So here, what we do here is to, um, we learn from the idea of return-oriented programming. So basically, we want to find several gadgets in the shared library. The gadgets ba basically is just one, one instruction that will change the control flow back to the original program. And we find several such gadgets in the shared library. And those gadgets are, the memory, are located in the memory blocks that we want to monitor, that the attacker wants to monitor. And in the attack program, which is the Android application, we construct the, this reload phase in the following ways. We construct a, a chain of entry point of these gadgets. And then we jump to each of these gadgets uh, in turns. And once we jump to one gadget, and we will execute one instruction and then return immediately from that, from that gadget. And in this way, in this way, we can load we can test, we can load, try to load some of the memory blocks into the shared cache without executing the entire function. So this is the basic idea of the return oriented reloads. Um, so, and then we just time how long it takes to, 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 uh, to jump to the three gadgets. And then the, the, the overall time of reload will be used to determine whether uh, the memory blocks associated with the three gadgets have been used by the victim during the flash reload interval or not. Okay, so, well, we do not, we, we, we can use all, all the uh, in, in indirect con uh, control flow transfer instructions on ARM. Uh, this table shows that on ARM with 7, there are so many uh, indirect control flow transfer instructions, and on ARM with 8, there are so many of them. So for instance, uh, we can, we find two gadgets in the uh, clock get time function in the standard libc library. And then we can construct the, uh, the Android app as shown in this figure uh, to make use of these two gadgets uh, to learn whether the victim has caught this function clock get, up, get time of day during the flash reload interval. Okay, so any questions so far? Okay. Um, so I have a question of that libc that I saw uh, those shared memory pages. So maybe did a different application may see the uh, different did the, did the memory footprint for the libc that I saw. For example, if that is ASL, then the um, did the code pages are always different. So um, so in the attacker program, you can you can arbitrarily load any library that you can access, right? You can you can you can load this library well explicitly and access the library pages. And, and as long as those libraries is in the same operating system, it is shared 
with the victim. Oh yeah, but um, the memory footprint, when, when it is actually loading, um, the dynamic loader is actually going to change the, 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 the both code pages and data pages. For example, if there is pointers, then you know, I mean, the, the pointer values are always different. And I don't know, I don't know whether the... Well, we, we only focus on the static pages, code pages. We cannot, we cannot, well, as long as, long as the one process changes the content of the shared page, they're no longer shared. So we cannot, we cannot use flash reload attack on those pages anymore. But we can, but for the static pages, like the, the static library pages, we can use this technique to do the attack. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, but the, um, even for the static pages, I mean, in the loading time, it's going to be patched. Um, it's gonna be changing. It's I gonna mean, be it's gonna be changing, but uh, we we can reach a certain uh, stable point because because the attacker can control when to when to start this attack. This, the attacker can fully after fully loaded loading this this library and then can take, start this attack, right? So because the attacker has full control of this this, this shared library um, on, on on his side, so this type of noise does not matter. I I I, I we did not observe. Yes. Uh, difficulty <coughs> in practice. Yes, um, I see. Okay, so I, I hope that answers your question partially. Um, yeah, so I, I haven't really have a um, very um, the, the extensive experiences in the uh, water the memory footprints for the shared library, but the um, I see. Yeah, yeah. So okay. it, it, it may did it change it depending on the, the, the use cases, I guess. Well, I I guess my answer is that in practice we. We do not find this it's a very very uh, serious problem because the attacker can can determine when he when it starts to load the library and when when it starts to do the attack. I see. So the attacker has full control of this this memory page, memory footprint. Um, okay. So uh, okay. So the next thing I want to talk about is that given the flash reload attack, what can what can we do on ARM devices? Well, actually, we try to show two types of um, attacks. Well, it's not really attacks. Two type of um, um, capabilities that are enabled by by this uh, by by this by this flash reload uh, side channel on ARM devices. And the first one is to detect the hardware events. And here I'm showing that um, this is how the touch screen event is dispatched. Well, uh, to to the to the rest of the operating system, and we can directly use the flash reload attack to to monitor a function called input sync. And then we, in using this method, we can learn when the touch screen event happens. So we can generate a sequence of interrupts that are generated by the touch screen events. So, so what, is the, what, what is the purpose of doing, so, doing that? Well, remember there's a, uh, there's a Auckland, there was an Auckland uh, 16 paper. And in, those, in this paper, uh, they show that by reading the profile system, they can learn the sequence of interrupts and using this sequence of interrupts, they can infer the lock pattern. They infer the user user's lock pattern. So here, we know that the profile is uh, is is very easy to 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 be blocked from the from the applications. And without the profile interrupts files, we show that it is still possible to regenerate this time series. This interrupt uh, the interrupt time series and uh, and and and, and finishes a lock pattern attack. Okay, so and also we 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 try to show another type of uh, uh, category of attack, which which is tracing the software execution. Um, and here we show uh, in this example we we we, sh we show how uh, the uh, the display the display when when the display is updated, what function is being called. Uh, 
in the in the Android devices. And particularly, we try to flash reload one function called post frame buffer. Um, uh, that is uh, in, that, that is with the, used in the Surface Flinder series, and by doing so, we can learn when the display is updated. So we particularly show that using this technique, we can show we can we can we can learn when uh, a push not notification arrives to the device. Okay, and then when when it when it disappears, and we can also show and using this information, we can try to infer user's private private action. And another another example here is that this is a discover app, and uh, uh, there is a blinking uh, cursor here, and we show that. Because blinking cursor will blink every uh, twice every second, and here we show that using the flash reload channel, we can um, we can we can see when the cursor blinks. And further, if whenever user try to uh, try try to input a password here, um, every time the user touch a, touch one of the keys in the software keyboard, uh, the display will be updated, and we can see from th th this can be observed from the flash reload. Side channel as well, and this informa information can help us with, uh, uh, learn can help the attacker learn the interkeystroke information. Okay, so this so to summarize the side channel attacks here uh, is that we know that there are some known targets um, that are we can use the the, the cache based side channel to learn the software and hardware based events, and also use the attack use this side channel to learn the cryptographic keys in the RSA encryption, algorithmic encryption, uh, ECDSA, AES, and DES. And the similar attacks has been demonstrated in the cloud, cloud systems. Um, and there has been cross-process attacks, uh, cross-container attacks, cross-VM attacks. And it has, it has also been shown uh, using uh, JavaScript, um, the attacker can conduct a similar cache-based sign-channel attack, but not flash reload. Okay. Um, and, uh, and in our work, we show that a zero permission application can conduct a flash reload attack on mobile devices. Well, this is about the, the cache session attack, a very high-level overview of it. Um, the next topic I'm, I'm going to talk about is the integra integrity attack, uh, and particularly, I'm, I mean, the row hammer attacks. So this is the architecture of uh, DRAM. Um, you can see that. Um, each uh, the uh, the processor will control will interact with the DRAM using memory channels, and the w within each memory channel there are multiple DIM, and uh, for each DIM there are might be two sides, and one side is one rank, one side is one rank, and on each rank there are multiple chips, um, and on each chip there are multiple banks, sometimes eight banks, sometimes sixteen banks, and within each bank there are multiple rows and multiple columns. Okay, this is the basic basic DRAM architecture, and it has been shown by previous work that um, by repeatedly opening and closing a row enough times within a refresh interval, will induce some disturbance error in adjacent rows. So what that means is that if you have a program access one row and then access a, another row and do that in turns, and if you do that frequently enough, it is possible to induce some errors in the neighboring in the neighboring rows. Um, this is the DRAM uh, disturbance error. So, a row hammer attack is basically hammering DRAM rows to induce the memory errors on purpose. Okay, and the, the row hammer attacks can be conducted very, uh, 
very, very easily by using only four, five, five instructions. Um, well, five, only five, five instructions here. Like the first instruction is to move, uh, to read some data from one, from one, one row. And then the second instruction is to read data from another row. And then use cell flush instructions to flush the memory from the cache. So that next time, if you read the same data, it will reach the DRAM. Okay. Uh, and in this way, uh, we, can, we, can we can effectively, well, the attacker can effectively induce memory errors. And it ha there's another type of attack called double-sided row hammer attacks. This is more effective. So basically, if you frequently access two neighboring rows of one victim row, it will greatly increase the effectiveness of this attack. And in this example, as long as the attacker can access the two rows, two neighboring two rows that are uh, that are close to the victim row, there it has a great chance to cause bit flips in the victim rows. Well, so we had a paper uh, in uh, uh, published at Unix Security 2016. Uh, this is with my my, my grad students, um, and in this work we we have two major contributions. And the first contribution is to reverse engineer the DRAM addresses because um, the DRAM, well, the physical address mapped it, will, will be mapped to a certain area in, in the DRAM, but this information is not disclosed by the, by the DRAM vendor. Therefore, we try to use the timing channel, timing channel to learn such information. So that is, we can use timing channel to learn which physical address will map to which, which row in which bank of the DRAM. And with that information, we can conduct effective double-sided row hammer attacks. Okay, and the second contribution is that once we have this effective double-sided row hammer attacks, how to exploit it, the such row hammer vulnerability in the cross-WM setting is the, the question that we want to explore. Um, okay, so today I'm going, only going to focus on the second part. Uh, how to exploit a row hammer vulnerability in then cross-WM settings. So um, we particularly show that we can do the cross-WM uh, cross row hammer attacks on then pair-virtualized um, uh, well, uh, virtual machines. And this, this diagram shows the then pair-virtualized uh, memory management. Here, given a virtual address within the guest VM, okay, um, the address can be translated by walking through the the four level of page tables. And what is in the page table, page table entry is the physical address. Is the physical is real machine address. And this page table is stored within the guest kernel, kernel space. So it can be read by the guest kernel. But the, then hypervisor will set those page tables as read only so that the guest kernel even though it is malicious, it cannot directly modify the content of these page tables. Okay, this is basic of the security. Uh, this, this is the, the, the basis of the security of the then parvirtualization. So, well, you know that gas which uh, the gas kernels will have to um, frequently update the page tables. But how to do that? Because the page table is read only. Um, the way to do so is by issuing hypercalls. And the hypervisor, upon receiving the hypercall, will check whether this request is, is le legitimate. And if so, the request can be grounded. Otherwise, it, the request will be rejected. Sorry, it doesn't work well. 
Okay, otherwise the uh, the request will be will be will be rejected. So, how do we exploit the little hammer attacks to break the isolation enforced by the Zen memory management? Well, we we showed that uh, uh, we showed that uh, we can conduct a page table replacement attack. Here, I'm showing a, a page table that is within the guest kernel uh, address space. And here, a virtual address is, it will be translated into a physical, physical page that is mapped to, is, mapped, is, is controlled by the attacker, is within the attacker's uh, kernel address space. Okay, so everything inside this dash lines, dash boundary, is within the attacker's uh, uh, memory, memory space. So here, what we want to do next is to create a forged page table. Okay, I'll create a forged page table. And the, the con well, the entries within the forged page table can be an arbitrary value. So the forged page table can point to an arbitrary memory page on this, on this computer. It can be the, a page that is, that is controlled by the hypervisor or a page controlled by another virtual machine. Okay, so there is a special requirement of this forged page table. Okay, the machine address of the forged page table will be different from the original, original page table only by one bit, only by one bit. Okay, um, and then we find another vulnerable page. So what is a vulnerable page? Um, Rohammer attacks are more or less predictable and repeatable. So if we find one bit, that is, is can, can be can be can be flipped by the row hammer attacks. It is very possible that it will, can be uh, flipped again in the future. So we can enumerate the uh, we can conduct the row hammer attacks uh, within the uh, attacker's address space and try to identify one of the vulnerable pages. Okay, and then the vulnerable bit here. Okay, the vulnerable bit here has some special requirement. The vulnerable bit will fall into the region of, uh, uh, well, of one of the entries, one of the entries in this page, and uh, this vulnerable bit will be will be the same as the bit that uh, the forged page table is different from, from from the original page table. This is the the bit that is vulnerable to row hammer attacks. And the next step to do is to copy the content of the original PMD, okay? To copy the original co content of PMD to the vulnerable page, well, to the vulnerable page, and we call this vulnerable page as shadow PMD, as shadow PMD. Well, then because these two pages are identical, we can use a hypercall, we can use a hypercall here to replace the shadow PMD uh, to replace the, the original PMD with the shadow PMD. So now the shadow PMD will become part of the page, ta pa page tables uh, used by the kernel because they are basically I identical. Uh, this type of request can be granted by the hypervisor. Um, and the next step is to conduct the actual row hammer attacks here. So the after row hammer attacks, the bit can be flipped, the bit, vulnerable bit will be flipped. And then originally the entry in the shadow PMD was pointing to the original page table, but because of the bit flip here, it will be pointing to the forged page table. 
and this process will not involve the hypervisor. So the hypervisor does not know the page table has been changed. So, so from now on, as long, well, uh, the, the attacker can access this arbitrary memory page using the virtual, this virtual address, using this virtual address. And what is, what, what more, what's more here is that this forged page table um, can be written by the attacker. So the attacker can, can repeatedly write different values here in the forged page table and try to access different pages in the shared system. Um, well, this is the basic idea of the Rohammer cross VM Rohammer attacks. And I, w I just want to briefly uh, mention one, uh, one example here. Um, so in this example, we show that uh, the attacker can use the Rohammer attacks to compromise the OpenSSH open server. Um, so in this example, the OpenSSH server will use the, the PAM-based authentication method. So it's basically password, password authentication. Um, here we can see the, 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 the figure on the left shows that the, so, so the code, the original uh, assembly code. So basically, uh, when the user tries to authenticate it himself, um, PAM authenticate, this function will be called. And the return value will be stored in the EAX. And the, depending on the value of EAX, if the value is zero, that means the authentication was successful. And uh, uh, otherwise, uh, it will jump to the error handling process. And, and the, the machine code of call PAM authenticate is E81B74FDNFF. Okay, and we can simply, here, we can simply change the value of this machine, the five bytes machine code, into B8 followed by zeros. And this is the machine code of move zero to EAX. So basically, we are moving a value zero to EAX. And once we test the EAX with EAX, we'll got the zero for sure. So we will bypass the authentication. This is a very simple idea. Actually, once you can change the content of the memory, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, so just to, to, to briefly recap the, the tech steps. First of all, we'll do the page, ta page table replacement, replacement attack. And then once we can gain arbitrary memory access, we will, we will enumerate all the memory pages on this shared system. And uh, until we find the pattern, until we find an instruction uh, with the same pattern, this is called PAM authentication. And once we have found it, we'll just replace this five bytes with a different five bytes. Okay, this is the, the basic idea. So how, how long does it take to search one page? Well, in order to, so, well, the, the execution time of this attack depends on uh, whether we are lucky or not. Well, if we are lucky and we find this pattern in the first page, and we, it will only take like 0.3 seconds. But if we need to, uh, to search other uh, additional pages, uh, one extra page will take about 58 uh, microseconds. 58 microsecond. So the execution, execution time of this attack depends on uh, how soon can we find this uh, page with this pattern. Um, well, this is basically a, a, a demonstration of this uh, attack. Uh, so here, um, you can see that this uh, user, this attacker, is trying to log in remotely to the, this open SSG server. Uh, and because the attacker does not have the, the password, so he can try many times, but he cannot log in. Uh, and then the attacker gives up. So next, the attacker will go to uh, 
another virtual machine that is controlled by the attacker, which is co-locating with the victim and conducted the row hammer attack and also the page table replacement attack. So here is the process to search the pattern in the physical memory. Okay, once we, are, once we have found this pattern, here we are pretty lucky here, and then we just replace this string uh, with a different one. So we, we change the memory content. And, and now the attacker can try to log in again. And here, without entering the password, the attacker can, can log in the, the open SSH server directly. Okay, so to, sum, to summarize the, the state of art of Rohammer attacks, um, so in terms of attack, attack scenarios, there has been cross-VM attacks. Uh, and in this paper, we show that we can do the cross-VM uh, uh, attacks in then PVMs. And uh, uh, there has also been other work show that with HVM, the hardware-assisted virtual machines, uh, as long as the virtual machines use memory deduplication technique to merge the same the memory uh, uh, memory pages with the same content into the uh, into a single one, um, it is still possible to do the cross VM uh, attack. But this technique with this memory deduplication is not widely used in public cloud. So 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 the applicability of this attack is uh, um, is uh, uncertain. So, uh, uh, and, and there are other attack scenarios. Like in browsers, it has been shown that the JavaScript uh, code can run real hammer attacks as well. Uh, and re more recently, it has been shown that on mobile devices, um, attacker can use zero permission application to exploit uh, the mobile device and get root process, root, root uh, access to, uh, to the Android device. And in terms of counter mirrors, um, one, if one easy uh, countermeasure is just to use better hardware, like the ECC memory or DDR4 memory. But it has been shown those two types of hardware can also be uh, well exploited by Rohammer. Can also uh, attacker has also uh, can, can still uh, uh, conduct Rohammer attacks on those two uh, types of memory. But whether the attacker can exploit the Rohammer vulnerability or not is questionable. Okay, we are not sure about that yet. And uh, another countermeasure is the purely software-based software defense, um, which we we don't know we don't know how to do that yet. Okay, this is still an open research question. Um, so, so I have a question sure. About the, <coughs> I have a question about the the this wireless networking for the non-pattern uh, virtualization environment. Is it because simply changing myself in the pattern virtualization uh, non-pattern virtual the non-pattern virtualization environment is sort of the meaningless. Um, well, the answer here, here the reason is that in the pair virtualization, then virtualization technology, the page table is stored in the yes. guest kernel space, mm -hmm. but it's made read-only. But in the in the hardware-assisted virtualization technology, there are two levels of page table. Yes. Simply changing content of the page table inside your kernel memory does not help mm -hmm. in yes. this process. There's a, a one additional layer of page tables. Then, uh, assuming that the, um, we are in the um, non-pattern virtualization environment, is it possible that they are in the same bank? The different roles are actually assigned to the different um, the, the VM instance. Is it possible? I, I believe so. I, I believe. Oh, then there is the possibility to launch the Rohammer attack. I, I, I believe it is possible to launch this cross-VM Rohammer attacks on uh, in, in HVM environment. Uh -huh. But the problem is that whether we can deterministically exploit this vulnerability yes. or yes. not. That is a research question. 
Um, okay, I, I, I'm going to try to wrap up my, my talk here uh, with this question, when side-channel means zero hammers. So side-channel attacks is a, a type of confidential attack, and uh, row hammers is kind of like an integrated attack. They're, they are simulated so different, but if you think more, more, more carefully, they are actually not. So here we, 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 are, we are trying to, this is ongoing research, we are trying to build a attack pre-requisite graph here, try to identify what is the requirement of conducting side-channel attacks and the row hammer attacks in the operating system. You can see that some of the requirements to conduct both, research, both attacks are very similar. Like some, uh, sometimes if you have fine-grained time measurements, and that will enable a lot of timing-based cache side-channel attack. And that will also enable, um, enable uh, a DRAM address mapping, which will help you to build a double-sided row hammer attack. And similarly, uh, if you have the ability to translate the virtual address uh, to, the, to, the, to the physical address or to the, to the real machine address, then it can help to uh, reconstruct the DRAM mapping and also be used to conduct the prime probe-based attacks. And, and, and here, one, another example is the physical page sharing. If the attacker and the victim share the same physical pages, on the, on the one hand, it will enable a reuse-based cache timing attack. Well, reuse-based cache timing attack is just another term for the flash reload attack, okay, because the attacker and the victim share the same physical page. And it also enables a type of, well, row hammer attacks, a type of row hammer attacks, because uh, on, on HVM, machines, as long as the memory deduplication is enabled, uh, the attacker VM and the victim VM can share the same memory page. And uh, because, of, because of this memory, physical page sharing, it is possible to change some critical code or data to conduct attacks. Okay, so this is still ongoing research that uh, I'm working on right now. So here to conclude that um, um, when the mutually distrusting parties share the cache and memory hardware, it, it may be a security concern. It can breach the confidentiality, integrity, and sometimes uh, the, the availability of the computations. And uh, there are solutions to this problem. One immediate solution is to, to design new, new hardware, to enforce hardware level isolation. Well, alternatively, we have to conduct some software-based isolation. And and the, my perspective here is try to eliminate the necessary condition of all types of cache memory attacks altogether, trying to prevent this, these attacks as a whole. Okay, this is my conclusion. Any questions? About the flash reload attack, uh, is it possible to, to first uh, feed the cache with the dummy, dummy data? Um, so your question is in the flash reload attack, whether it is possible for the victim or for the attacker? Uh, for, for the attacker to, to feed the caches with the dummy data and then... So what is the purpose of doing that? Uh, the same uh, as the uh, flash uh, instruction. That, so, so, so does that have the same uh, functionality as the flash uh, instruction? So by, by filling the cache with dummy data, you're expecting a victim to evict some of the data. Yeah. Okay, so 
the answer is that this type of attack is called prime probe based attack, oh, which is not the topic of this of this talk. But again, this prime probe prime probe based cache attacks is very effective, and it can be used in cross VM uh, environments very effectively. Any other questions? I have one more question about the this Linux kernel's privilege escalation of text status. So is it possible that the, with this, the, 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 the what is that, latest Linux kernel with the latest CPU, is it still possible to launch the Lohem attack to do the um, privilege escalation? Uh, I, th I think the state of art here is that the Linux community is actively trying to find new so solutions to the Lohammer attacks. But oh, still I, just no? I do not think they have, they wow. have come up with the idea yet. And it seems like your DD page table re replacement attack can be sort of used to to do the to do this um the, the privilege escalation for the Linux as well. Well, we have different assumptions here because uh -huh. in cross web setting, the attacker can control the guest kernel, uh -huh. so the attacker can manipulate the kernel. Uh, it manipulate the, the the page table to some extent. Can read the content of page page tables, but. In the privileged escalation attacks, the attacker does not have access to the page table directly. Uh, but the um, is it essentially? I mean, so like, I mean, how to put this? Oh, I see. I mean, the, the page table, the, the address is actually the, in the corner space. The uh, the page table uh, yes, is yeah, actually see, in I the see, guest yes. kernel address oh, I space, see, I see. Yes, and I see. the attacker oh. can access to this page table directly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but just not not be able to change it. I see. Okay. So still, I mean, it's got, I kind of feel like the, the, the Linux is kind of broken at this moment. I mean, anyone can do the the, the previous escalation. I mean, if that the the, the RAM chip is kind of vulnerable to the low hammer. Well, I think so. I think so. But <laughs> but but I think it's that that is the reason why we have to work harder to try to find out software defense techniques to prevent such attacks. Thank you very much.